9 and verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 12. Actually, um, let's read from verse number 11. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 11 through 14. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal, eternal redemption for us. Amen. We're singing about redemption just a few moments ago. It's not just any redemption, but what Jesus Christ has done is an eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Let's read verse 14 together. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We don't serve a dead God here tonight, but we serve a living God. Amen. He's, more, he's a more perfect tabernacle. We don't need the blood of bulls and goats. Hallelujah. Anymore, because there is one that has offered the ultimate Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And his name is Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. And he purges our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Amen. I'm going to talk to you for a few moments here tonight on communion. We'll be taking uh, communion. Our communion service is this coming Sunday night. And it's a very, very important service. We do it twice a year. And so we're going to start the year off in 2023 by taking some time and reflecting upon the redemption of what Jesus Christ has richly done for us. And what does that mean? This may be the first communion service for some of you, and so you may not know exactly why we do what we do. And so we're going to spend a few moments here tonight talking about the communion service. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. And we ask that you would direct us tonight. We thank you for your word that brings strength to us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. This subject has its roots in the Old Testament, and so that's a great place to start. We'll start there first. In studying of the Scripture in the Old Testament, you can find many types. And in one particular case in Corinthians, Paul said, all these things were written for our examples that we, through patience of the Scripture, might have hope. Amen. I'm thankful for the hope that comes in the Scripture. And so the Old Testament contains many types, and a type is either a person, a thing, or an event that represents or symbolizes something that is to come. So you can go back in the Old Testament, and if you're reading in the Old Testament, you're doing your Bible reading this year, I would challenge you just as an interesting exercise, look for every type that you can find in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ, and you will find that the Old Testament is full of types of Jesus, types of the church. So these are called types. The antitype is the fulfillment of that. So that's the person or thing or event that is represented by an earlier type. And so in the Old Testament, we get types, and then the culmination of that becomes the antitypes in the New Testament. The Passover is a type. It's a type of the death of Christ, which then becomes the antitype. 
And since the communion service commemorates the death of Christ, we can also view it as an antitype of the Passover. So it goes both ways. You can look at what Jesus does in the New Testament, and you can look back and recognize he's fulfilling something in the Old Testament. If you read from the Old Testament, you recognize there is something that is pointing the other direction. And so this is why all of the scripture is very, very important to us. And the Passover is a type, it is a type of the death of Jesus Christ. Israel had been in Egyptian bondage for 430 years. That's a long time. That's longer than the United States has been a nation by far. And so they've been in bondage for that period of time. And God heard their cries for deliverance. And so he sent Moses to Egypt and empowered Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery. And God works many notable miracles through Moses. He plagues the Egyptians and defeats the Egyptian gods. Every, every plague that is given by Moses is a direct attack on the Egyptian gods. And God reveals that he is greater than the Egyptian gods. And as God prepares to unleash the last plague on Egypt, a death angel would go through Egypt killing the firstborn of every family. He commanded the Israelites to apply the blood of a lamb to the lintel and doorpost of their homes, the top and the sides, to escape the plague. When the death angel saw the blood, he would pass over that home. Praise God. You thankful for blood that is applied to your life that causes, amen, judgment to pass over you. Praise God. This is a whole nother discussion, but the place where the blood is applied is in baptism in Jesus' name. The blood is applied to your life and judgment passes over you. Thank God for the power that is in the name of Jesus and thank God for the blood of Calvary. Praise God. If God has done something great in your life, praise God, one of the greatest things that he could ever do is wash you and cleanse you with the blood of Calvary. Doesn't matter what your failures have been. Praise God. The blood of Jesus is greater than the sin and the failures that is in your life. Amen. It's more powerful. It's more powerful. Praise God. And so the deaf angel would pass by when he would see the blood, and God commanded Israel to keep that first occurrence of the Passover. He commanded them to keep the first feast of the Passover to escape the plague and to keep later Passover feasts as a memorial of God's delivering them. And so the initial one was to deliver them out of Egypt, but every successive one is to help them remember what God had richly done in their life in bringing them out. And so here's some major points and details that Israel was to carry out in order to keep the Passover. It had to do with the lamb. The lamb had to be fastened up from the 10th to the 14th of the month. The lamb had to be without blemish. It had to be a male of the first year. It had to be a sheep or goat. It had to be roasted, could not be eaten raw or boiled. Had to be eaten in entirety along with bitter herbs. Had to be kept whole, not a bone of the lamb could be broken. And so that was the, that was the participation of the lamb. This is all spelled out in the law. The individual, if a household was too small to eat an entire lamb, they were to invite their neighbors to help them eat all of the lamb. They were to apply the blood from the lamb to the lintel. The lintel is above the door and on the two side posts of the door, but never on the threshold. The threshold would be what you walked across. The Israelites were to be dressed for travel when they ate the Passover lamb. They were to eat it in haste with their clothes on, with their shoes on, and with their staff 
in hand. They were to put out all leaven from their houses. They were to eat unleavened bread for seven days after the Passover. They were not to work on the day of the Passover. And so this became the ordinance of the Passover. It included the sacrifice, which was the lamb or the goat. It included the individual, and then it included the community. The Passover was to be observed in the month of Nisan or Abib, and these are the same months on the Jewish calendar. Strangers, those who were not Israelites, could not eat the Passover. Servants or slaves could eat the Passover if they had been circumcised. The Passover feast had to be eaten in one house. It could not be carried out of the house from place to place. Strangers could eat the Passover if the males submitted to circumcision. They were known as Jewish proselytes. One law was applicable to all, both to home, born, and to strangers if they were to eat the Passover. They were all to maintain the same structure. All who were clean, not defiled through violation of the law and not on, on a journey, had to eat the Passover. If they did not, they would be cut off from the community. So it was something very, very important. Failure to observe this in the Old Testament, failure to observe this was a sin, as spelled out by Numbers chapter 9 and verse number 9. And Israel was to observe the Passover in the place where God placed his name in the tabernacle later in the temple. So there was a place that you came to observe it. So this was the ordinance uh, of the Passover, and it included the individual, the community, and it included the sacrifice. The Bible talks about 10 specific cases and accounts where the Passover was celebrated. Many other Passovers were observed, but we have these 10 accounts. The original Passover in Exodus. The Passover in the wilderness in Numbers chapter 9. The first Passover in Canaan in Joshua. The Passover under King Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles chapter 30. The Passover under Josiah, 2 Kings chapter 23. The Passover under Zerubbabel, Ezra. The Passover Jesus attended as a boy, Luke chapter 2. The first Passover during Jesus' ministry, John chapter 2. The second Passover during Jesus' ministry, John chapter 6. And the last Passover during Jesus' ministry where he instituted the communion service. And so we have ten accounts in the scripture of the Passover taking place. There's also some other references that are, be, that are before the ordinance. Abraham met with Melchizedek, and Abraham served him bread and wine. And that is also a beautiful type of the communion service. This happened in Genesis chapter 14. And Jesus Christ priesthood as recognized in Hebrews is after the order of Melchizedek rather than the order of Aaron. And so the communion service actually precedes the ordinance of the 10 Passover celebrations that we see. So that is the Old Testament uh, rendering and illustration and fabric and theme that is a type of something that is to come. Everything in it from the individual to the service to the ordination, everything about it is pointing to an antitype. Praise God. There's not to be a blemish on the sacrifice. That lamb or goat has to be, it has to be without blemish. Jesus was the sacrifice without blemish. Praise God. You had to do this every year. They, they celebrated this every year. But when Jesus comes along as the antitype, you only have to celebrate once because 
That's as good as it gets. One sacrifice once and for all. Praise God, because he is the ultimate sacrifice. Amen. John said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It doesn't get any better than Jesus, because he is the ultimate sacrifice. Praise God. Amen. Feel his presence in the house of God here tonight. So in the Old Testament, these are all types that are pointing toward one day, one day there's going to come a time in which there's going to be an eternal priesthood. There's going to be an eternal sacrifice. And it's going to be once and for all. Do you realize the power of Calvary? Praise God. It shook the heavens and it shook the earth. And it gave to us the opportunity to be recipients of everything that everybody was looking toward. We don't have to go back and find a goat, a bull, a sheep. We don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to have a priest that goes into the holy of holies. For the scripture that we read at the beginning said that Jesus, through the eternal spirit, offered himself. There is no middle wall of partition anymore because at Calvary when he died it was rent from the top to the bottom and it gave to us an opportunity not for somebody else to go in for us but it gave us the opportunity to go into the holy of holies ourselves. all you've got to do is lift up your hands all you have to do is lift up your voice and you can be in the presence of an almighty God let's clap our hands and thank the Lord for that opportunity praise God that privilege, that anointing. It hasn't always been like that. It wasn't always like that. There was this certain distance where there was a priest and he had to be the high priest and there was a separation from God and so all of this stuff was a type. Praise God. But Jesus came and said, I'm going to fulfill all of that so that people in 2023 can step into the sanctuary and lift their hands and know the eternal sacrifice and lamb has been provided. Praise God. You can step in because you are a royal priesthood. Amen. Praise God. You don't need somebody else to praise God for you. You can praise God for yourself. And we all share the same lamb. Praise God. Amen. So in the New Testament, you have antitypes. And so let's look at some of those things because there have been questions and ideas that are raised in connection with this service. And we want to examine some of the commonly asked questions and let the scripture provide some answers for us. So there's a few questions here. Number one, what should we use to represent the body of Jesus Christ in the communion service? Well, during the Passover, the Israelites removed all leaven, all leaven and leavened bread from their houses. Jesus, when he broke bread in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26, said, this is my body, and he was talking about unleavened bread. We should bake bread using plain flour and water or buy unleavened bread prepared for the communion service. Before the unleavened bread is served, the pastor or someone he designates should give thanks and bless the bread, setting it apart as a representative of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us. It's a great scene in the Messiah that we did sitting at the table where Jesus has the bread and he's breaking the bread at the table and it's representing his broken body before he ever gets to Calvary and before he ever has to go through the struggles of that. It's going to be a broken body. He's breaking the bread. He is the unleavened bread for us. And that is representative of his body. Everyone say representative. There was a doctrine in A.D. 1215 that was adopted by Pope Innocent III at the Lateran Council that stated that the bread and fruit of the vine, when blessed by the priest, 
becomes the actual physical body and blood of Jesus Christ. This is not scriptural. We do not believe that when we take the cracker and we drink the wine that it's physically becoming the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. It represents. It is a symbol. And that doctrine is called transubstantiation. We do not believe that. We believe that it is a representation of the body and blood of Jesus, but it's not his actual body and blood. Amen. That's a... <laughs> It's a representation. It's a symbol. What is leaven? If we're supposed to have unleavened bread, then what is the purpose in the Passover with leaven? Leaven is yeast or sourdough. And it means to, when you say leaven, the verb leaven means to raise or seethe with fermentation. So leaven is the substance in the bread that makes it rise, puff, or stand up. And the Israelites were told to remove all leaven from their houses during the Passover. And for seven days afterward... They were to do this, and those seven days after the Passover were known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Leaven in the scripture is a type of sin. It's a type of false doctrine or error. It, is a, it represents things that puff up, that exalt, that bring pride. And, and so this is one of the reasons why Christ's sacrifice was something that was unleavened because everything that he did was not in pride and was not an arrogance, and it was not a puffing up, but it was a humbleness in which he went to the cross as Brother Brock read in our reading that Isaiah prophesied about. Jesus warned his disciples of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the pride, the arrogance. He called them, he called them and their doctrine a leavened doctrine or a puffed up doctrine. He warned the disciples of the leaven of Herod. So he went not only to the religious leaders, but he also pointed out the political leaders as well. He warned us, Paul warned us, of the leaven of malice and wickedness in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. So malice and wickedness is a puffing up or a leavening of the human experience that is not pleasing to God. In Galatians, when Paul is talking to the Galatians about false doctrine, he told them a little leaven leaven at the whole lump, meaning that it only takes a little bit and then it produces something that happens in the whole. And so it's important to make sure that we use unleavened bread. We must purge all spiritual leaven, all the puffing up from our personal lives in order to keep us um, consistent with the feast of unleavened bread of sincerity and in truth. And so as we approach the communion service, anything that is within us that would cause pride and arrogance and a, a puffing up or a rising in our spirit, a, a stubbornness or rebellion needs to be removed from our life because that is a leavened experience. No sin, leaven, was in the life of Jesus Christ. And to completely and fully represent his body correctly, we should use unleavened bread as found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so that's why we used unleavened bread, which is a, a, it's a cracker that has no leaven in it. What should we use to represent the blood of Jesus Christ? There's opinions about this. We use Passover wine. This is not wine that you just go into a liquor store and grab off the counter, and that's some of the misconception. But it is an ancient practice of Hebrews that have a Passover wine that is for the purpose 
of the Passover. It should be something from the fruit of the vine. It should not be tomato juice, watermelon juice, or stuff like that, colas, apple juice, cranberry, other beverages, because these would not be acceptable representatives of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it's important that we use something that has power within itself to cleanse itself. This is why we use Passover wine. How often should I take communion? Well, they practice communion once a year. The Israelites practiced it once a year. Um, the scripture tells us, Paul tells us that we should do it and as often as we do it, we do it in remembrance. So certainly the lowest level or threshold of doing communion in a year is once because that's what the Israelites would do. But they also had a, a situation where if you could not make the one, if you were on a journey and you were traveling, they, they had a second date that, that still transpired within uh, the same month. And so they had... Uh, opportunities for somebody that missed communion. This is why in a year we do two communion services so that if someone misses one, they're able to take the other one. And we do it at the beginning of the year because it, it helps us focus at the beginning of the year. And we do it at the end of the year to close out some things in our life that have maybe have transpired in that year. So we do it twice. Um, but once certainly should be the the minimum that we do. Uh, what is meant by Christ, our Passover? Well, the scripture reveals to us that Jesus Christ is the antitype of the Passover lamb. He was sacrificed for us as a lamb without spot or blemish. And Hebrews that we read reveals to us that he himself through the eternal spirit offered himself as that sacrifice. His blood has been applied to our lives through obedience to the gospel. And that gospel message is the death, burial, and resurrection. And we believe that you identify with that gospel through repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That is the new birth experience. And his blood is applied to our lives through obedience to that gospel. The blood from the Passover lamb was never placed on the threshold where people stepped of the door, only on the tops and the sides. We, we should highly esteem his blood and never tread it underfoot. Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the communion service is not something that we walk on, step on, treat lightly, but it's something that we respect because we recognize the power of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Amen. What two views do we receive in the communion service? We're standing into the present, but we're also receiving two different views. One thing we do is we look backward to his death at Calvary with respect, awe, humility, thanksgiving, and love. We show the Lord's death, meaning that we proclaim, declare, preach, speak of, teach, and promulgate it. The way to show the Lord's death is by taking communion. We look back and we recognize that moment in history is a, a powerful moment. It is a moment that divides history. Praise God. And so we look back at that and we proclaim it and we promote it. Hallelujah. And we're thankful for it. And yet at the same time, we look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Paul said, we show his death till he come. So we're looking back. We're saying how powerful Calvary is, and at the same time, we're looking forward because we believe he's coming. Praise God. Till he come, I'm going to take communion till he come. Well, he hasn't come yet. I'm still going to look back, thank God for what he's done. Till he come, I'm looking forward. Amen. So I'm looking back, and I'm looking forward. 
What does it mean to take communion unworthily? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 27 warns us against taking the Lord's Supper unworthily. And we should note that it does not say unworthy. Everyone say unworthy. It says unworthily, not unworthy. Praise God. Nudge your neighbor and tell them you're not worthy. <laughs> None of us are worthy, right? Jesus' power and his ability in Calvary declares that we're worthy. So unworthy and unworthily are two different things. Unworthily is an adverb meaning irreverently, unfit, or in an unworthy manner. Manner. Everyone say manner. Unworthy is a condition. Unworthily is a manner. And this makes sense because when Paul, when he's talking about the communion service in 1 Corinthians, he's not talking about the status of individuals. He's talking about how they're doing the communion service wrong. It's the manner that they're doing it in. And so it's unworthily or the manner that he's talking about. None of us feel worthy to partake of his body and blood, but he has made us worthy through salvation. Unworthily has to do with the manner, spirit, conduct, and attitude in which we take communion. And in the Corinthian church, they were having some major problems. They were bringing food. Some people had food. Some people didn't. It was, it was a lot of confusion. And so Paul is addressing this, and he's talking about the manner by which they are doing communion. And it was the wrong manner. So that's that. What is meant by let a man examine himself? Let a man examine himself. See, everything has a type. And an anti-type. Why would they? Why? Why would it be important to fasten up, or to cage, or pin the sacrifice for a period of days? Because he gave them opportunity to make sure that it was without blemish, and so there was an examining of it. You didn't just randomly go out, grab it, and then quickly bring it in and sacrifice it. That would be too fast, and you may make a mistake. <laughs> so you grabbed it, you brought it in, you put it in a a, a pin, you fastened it. And then you, you looked at it, you examined it, you made sure that this is without blemish. This is, this is the best that we have in the flock. And so we're going to examine. So that's the type. The antitype is in the scripture, why would it say let a man, let a person, let a man, let a woman examine himself? This happens in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28. Why? Why would that be important? It's important because we take the time to examine ourselves and make ourselves ready by ridding our life of leaven, getting rid of all the things. Praise God. If there, if there have been some things that you've, you've, you've had some battles, struggles, circumstances, disagreements, ups, downs, and sometimes we as humanity dealing with difficulties and problems, sometimes we get stuck on stuff. And then we get hurt. And then sometimes it's hard to heal from those things. And, 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 and so approaching the communion service is taking all of those inadequacies, all of those failures and circumstances in our human life and saying, God, I, I'm, I'm bringing all this stuff to you. I, I don't want my spirit to be puffed up. I want to examine my life. Praise God. So that when I approach this service, I'm doing it in sincerity. Praise God. In sincerity. Praise God. And so this is what it is meant when we say, examine yourself. Our heart should be free of condemnation, guilt, and sin. Praise God. Preceding the service, we should spend time in prayer, soul searching, humiliation, and possibly fasting to make sure that we get the most 
out of the communion service. If we flippantly go through a communion service and we don't examine ourselves, then Paul said you become weak and sickly. Spiritually, you become weak and sickly because you haven't done your due diligence. Amen. This week, spend some time praying and seeking God, clearing yourself, examining yourself, saying, Lord, if there's any root of bitterness, I don't want it there. I need to dig it up because I want the full power and blessing of your blood and sacrifice to be applied to my life. I'm going to look back and celebrate. Hallelujah. You're not a dead God. You're a living God. And I'm going to look forward until you come. But I want to approach this in a manner that is the most successful. Praise God, the most successful. And so that is, is, is why we should examine ourselves. Here's a couple of reasons to prevent us from eating and drinking unworthily. That's the manner. If you spend some time thinking about communion service, you, you don't just haphazardly run into, oh, it's communion tonight? No, 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 no. No, we're just not running in here and all of a sudden realize it's, this is a communion service. That's, that's, not, that's not the approach or attitude that we want to have. And that's why, we, that's why we announce it in advance uh, so that everybody knows and they can approach it in the proper manner. It prevents us from being weak, sickly, or dying. These words, this is how Paul described it. He said, if, if you take it unworthily, the wrong manner, it is making you weak, sickly, or dying. And it prevents us from being judged with the world. The scripture reveals to us in, in that setting that we are to judge ourselves, which means to separate thoroughly, to withdraw from, to discriminate, and to discern. Amen. We need to do that ourselves, not be judged by the world. And self-examination is a, a scriptural requirement of us. Praise God. What is meant by a bone of him shall not be broken? When the Passover lamb was sacrificed, there was one special requirement. Neither shall you break a bone thereof. This is Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46. This lamb was a type of Christ, our Passover lamb. And it was prophesied in the Psalms that not a bone of him would be broken. According to the Roman practice, when someone was crucified, his legs were broken to hasten his death. And when the soldiers came to Jesus while he was hanging on the cross, he was already dead. Therefore, instead of breaking his legs, they pierced his side, fulfilling the Zechariah prophecy. Not a bone of him was broken as he had been prophesied. Jesus became the perfect antitype of the Passover lamb. And then for us, what does that mean? That means we would do well to fulfill this type by not breaking the word of the Lord. We are to rightly divide it and obey it, not breaking the bones of the scripture of it. So this is why we follow a regimented understanding of communion so that we don't break the word that was given to us. What is meant by discerning the Lord's body? The Bible uses the word body in several cases or tenses, our physical human bodies, the physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ and the church, which is the body of Christ. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul's talking about the communion service, it's very obvious that he's talking about the broken body of Jesus and the blood that was shed at Calvary. It's in his own body, in Jesus' own body. He bore our sins. Amen. In his own body. Praise God. He prepared it. We read that passage of scripture as our text. Jeremy, Brother Brock, read Isaiah 53. Christ is the suffering sacrifice, wounded, bruised, and beaten. This was accomplished in his body. We didn't talk about that. Brother Brock just picked that out uh, here tonight. We didn't talk about song selection and song selection tonight. Was talking about great redemption. And we're speaking. All these things have come together tonight to help us 
recognize the importance of what Jesus does, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 9. It's all in him, and this is something that Jesus does. And so we're discerning his body through the lens of all of those things. We are dead, Paul says in Romans chapter 7 and verse number 4. We are dead to the law by the body of Christ. Amen. He has reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death. And Jesus declared, this is my body, which is given for you. Praise God. Anybody thankful about the body of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. That is given for each and every one of us. Amen. The last, last question that some people ask, if any man hunger, let him eat at home. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul is dealing with this service. If any man hunger, let him eat at home. What does this mean? In, this, in the passage of Scripture, Paul asks this question. Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Apparently, the Corinthian church brought individual and family meals and ate them in the church in observance of communion. And this, was a, this wasn't the right manner. This was unworthily. This caused division and disharmony, and it resulted because the rich had plenty and were even getting drunk while the poor were ignored. And, and Paul said this should not be the case. This is, this is unworthily. This is a manner that is unworthily. No communion service was ever intended to be a full-fledged meal such as we eat at home. This was not the instructions. Such eating would be irreverent and unacceptable as a memorial to the Lord's death. We should only take a small piece of unleavened bread and a small portion of the fruit of the vine. We should eat First, the unleavened bread, just as Jesus gave us the example, followed by drinking from the fruit of the vine immediately after. And any meal should be eaten separate from the communion service, making a clear distinction between the two. Amen. Praise God. As we stand together in the house of God here tonight, praise God. God's ordinance, the type and the antitype, the type of the Passover continues through the antitype in the New Testament era of grace through the communion service. This is a very, very important service. The church is to observe this until the Lord returns. And may we never forget the communion of the body and blood of Jesus. Remember that we, being many, are one bread, one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. We are not to create disharmony and disunity between different sections and segments of the church, but we all participate in the one body, every single one of us. doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter your financial situation. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are all at the table. Everybody is important. Everybody is included. Jesus' sacrifice is for everybody. The Corinthians, they, they were having problems with that. They had rich and they had poor and they had people in between. I'm thankful that God reaches out to everybody. Praise God. We all come from different backgrounds. Hallelujah. We all come from different places. But when we step into the house of God and we participate in the communion service, it strips away every, everything else. The neighbor on my right and the neighbor on my left, we're all in the same place. We're all unworthy, but because of his powerful experience at Calvary, we all have a place at the table. Praise God. If you're thankful for that, why don't you lift your hands and love the Lord together. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. I thank you for what you have richly done. 
And I pray that you would help each and every one of us throughout this week examine ourselves. Praise God. Take, take some time to observe some things in our life. We don't have to go find a, a lamb or a goat because we have the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus Christ. And so we want to reflect upon that the rest of this week. We give to you thanks and we praise you. Praise God. And we ask that you would direct us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before we leave, we'll put the prayer requests up on the uh, projection, and we need to pray for Brother Matt Forsythe, who's having some heart conditions. We want to pray for Brother Carl Casey, who is, is still fighting, amen, 